Hey, all, this is part two of our interview with Vandros Idiake. He is going to talk a little bit more about how crypto can be a hedge on inflation. Be sure to check it out. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of what you said, as you pointed out, we we tend to think of it from the West point of view, because, again, you know, it's, it's very common for us here to have access to a bank, you know, to be able to transfer funds digitally. Um, again, you have that lag time with banks, but, you know, we still have a pretty robust system here. Um, Rich, you're the money guy. I'm sure you have lots of questions based on what, what he was saying. I'll let you start out here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things, and I think it, it's it's very um, – the whole concept is new. And I think from my perspective, I actually – I like the idea of blockchain. I like the idea because there is nobody – policing it and it's one of those things that you can have a free market system when you're dealing with that and there's accountability so you know i think i'm sure in the next sort of segment when i throw it back to you to you know tell me a lot more i think you're going to talk more about the crypto part of it and i think that's the part where i kind of get lost a little bit but the you know, the blockchain, I like the idea of there is no government intervention. Nobody owns it. It's sort of like the Internet. You know, I can't say I own the Internet. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't even say I invented it or anything like that, like all these crazy things that you've heard over the years. It's just a free market accessibility of people all around the globe. So I think with blockchain, I think of it the same way. Um, is is there any reason for me not to think of it that way, though? I mean, what you kind of mentioned was there are ways, you know, obviously the government wants to grab whatever it can grab. Same reason they grabbed everything with the banking system, right? And while we can say it's not sustainable, it's 200 years old. So I don't know what sustainability becomes when it's, you know, kind of been this is the way it is. And this is the way it's been since, uh, you know. Alexander Hamilton or, or whoever actually came up with the banking system. I think it was yeah. him, um, you know, way back long. Right. So is there anything else like if we can keep it out of the hands of the government, then it really just grows to the point of taking over like the Internet did. Correct. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Right. When you look at it's a very theoretical thing. Right. Because should currency be left to the free market? Right. And this is this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Or should it be held with a private entity that kind of controls it and decides when, you know, they want to increase or decrease the interest rates and have the people scramble basically to decide, you know, especially imagine you're it's it's a nightmare. Imagine if you're, you know, on a variable mortgage <laughs> and then you just decide to increase the interest rates. And then it's like, oh, man, now I have to pay more for my for my um, my mortgage, you know. And so you, you kind of don't really get to de- decide and should one entity be able to play God in this kind of sense, you know? And this is the thing that we have to ask ourselves, does it make sense in the way the system is working now with how we keep having to increase the amount of supply of money every single year and decrease the amount of wealth in percentages that people have to make them keep having to produce more and more each and every year? I just don't think it's sustainable. If you look at all the different fiat models, they've all crashed, right? Um, you look at Zimbabwe, you look at uh, even Rome when they started mixing their uh, their coins with like 
stuff that wasn't um, tangible. You know, they started mixing it to increase the amount of, of coins. You know, you look at uh, so many different systems that have failed, you know, with the fiat system. You look at right now what's going on in Argentina, you know, and, and now they have that new president because, you know, their currency was inflating at 100 percent plus a year. You know, imagine just think about the ideal of you. You let's say you make like one thousand dollars a month in Argentina. Right. You got to wait for your check at the end of the month. And because the inflation is so high, that one thousand dollars, not nine hundred dollars at the end of the month in terms of purchasing power. That is insane. Right. And so this is these are some of the things that I look at when I think of the current fiat system that we have currently. And that's why uh, Bitcoin made a lot of sense to me. And um, there are there are a couple of weaknesses and obviously trade offs that comes with it, because if you lose your your crypto that you that you have in your wallet, you lose it forever. There's no customer service, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so this is the thing that kind of frightens a lot of people because it's like, oh, I, I can't call up Satoshi and just be like, hey, uh, <laughs> sorry, I lost my coins in cyberspace. You know, can I uh, can I get them back, please? And it kind of doesn't work that way. But then it, it ties back into a little bit of philosophy of we as sovereign individuals, should we have control over our currency? Or is it that we just aren't responsible enough that we should have a way in which the, the government still is able to control that? And that's something that I don't really have an answer to, to be honest with you, but I do see it as an alternative form of currency, right? And I don't, I think, I think we can have a hybrid. This is what I particularly think. I think we can, we can still, Bitcoin can still exist, and fiat can still exist and people should be allowed to choose the free market should be allowed to choose what's more valuable right over the course of time but i don't think that we'll just go into this hyper bitcoinization i don't there's some people that are very maximalist and they think we're just going to go into this hyper bitcoinization i don't necessarily think that i think that it's just going to be another currency like the euro like the, it already is you know that's over 100 million users it already is it has a deep enough liquidity you see what's going on now with the institutions getting in. If you look at BlackRock, right, they're getting in. Fidelity, Wisdom Tree, Deutsche Bank, name it, you know, and they're all getting in now um, because they see it as a viable solution because there's no better investment vehicle that we've ever had over the entire landscape of this past uh, decade and a half. You know, this thing has been around, you know, it's it's outperformed everything. It's, it's the best performing asset class of, of my generation. And uh, if you just hold it for a, a long period of time, you know, you, you just have to have a long term approach because it's an investment. It's not something that I think you should trade um, in the long term. If you if you whether if you buy it at the top, it's been proven every single time you buy it at the top, you hold it for four years. It outpaces when you bought it and um, you can dollar cost average down to as well. And there's no better performing asset class uh, for my generation. I think my generation right now, there's there's issues in my generation because you guys are a little bit older and I know you guys have probably been beaten into your heads, the 60, 40 model, right? Uh, the, the stocks and bonds. And for my generation, when I, I did a podcast recently on why you should buy Bitcoin instead of real estate. And the, the reason I'm saying that it's not for everybody, but the reason I'm saying that is because I firmly believe that if your net worth is not seven figs plus, it doesn't make sense to buy real estate currently right now. This, this is this very, very controversial hot take. But I'll explain why, right? If you look at the fact that Bitcoin has outperformed real estate over the course of time, right? You look at the fact that um, the confiscation aspect, right? You can't confiscate it. You can confiscate my real estate. If I don't pay my property tax, what happens to my real estate? Government takes it. You know? <laughs> and, 
Yeah, exactly. So that aspect too, as well. If you you look, there's there's so many different um, outlooks that you can look at with why you should buy um, Bitcoin instead of real estate. I know it's it's very it's super super controversial, but I look at a lot of different factors and I see okay, I have maintenance cost, you know, and even if Bitcoin is not a yield generating asset, it still outperforms just off of asset appreciation more than my real estate property would its appreciation plus the the revenue that you generate it's usually right around five six percent yield that you're looking at you know so when bitcoin is doing around an 80 to 200 percent return on an average basis if you hold it for a four-year long time span right so why would i then buy real estate when i can outpace the rate of inflation of of um real estate by buying bitcoin build my net worth high enough and then go buy real estate later when my net worth is, is high enough. And this is why I actually, with the clients that I've had too as well, I've suggested them, depending on you know their portfolio size, you know, if you're talking about 100K less, it's better to, to invest into cryptocurrency in general as an asset class because it's just going to outperform. Right now, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is uh, over 100% on the year. Is your real estate property over 100% on the year? No, it's not. You know, I think what pisses me off. Is that a bubble? Off, I mean, every market kind of has this this expansion and then everyone gets in and the hype and yeah. you know that that obviously adds to the value so the earlier you're in the better off you are but then you get the people that enter in the later stages and we kind of did see that a little bit with bitcoin where you know it shot up to what sixty thousand dollars per bitcoin and then it went from there down to i think it got down to the high teens or the low 20s well, a lot of people invested on the high side and then you know, of course, panic sets in and then they sell off and they lose money. And that's usually when government gets involved, because, that, of course, that creates problems. And, and then they try to regulate in some way. So aren't we kind of going through a similar thing, almost like the uh, real estate market in the the mid 2000s when, you know, everyone was buying property, they they were buying on, you know, variable rates and stuff. And, and ultimately, they were spending more money than they were making on it. And that's what led to the crash. Don't you see that happening here? Uh, no, the, the, the reason is because when you look at it, um, it depends on when you buy. As a, a smart investor would do, especially when it comes to liquid markets, you should always dollar cost average, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to understand market cycles and how they work, right? It's the same in the stock market. You know, you had stocks that were blue chip stocks down 50, 60, 70%. They were volatile. Would you consider them a bubble? You know, some people would consider mm -hmm. Amazon a bubble after it crashed 90% down, you know, when it when it was when it came out, you know. So um, was it a bubble? No, it's it's just you need to time the market. If you can't time the market, which most people can't, then you should dollar cost average slowly, learn the asset that you're that you're invested in, understand market cycles. And you get conviction through education, right? And so the asset is here to stay. You know, it's not going anywhere. Institutions are adopting it now. You have countries making it legal tender. More countries are going to start doing that um, because it just makes sense as an alternative to because like Argentina is a really good case study now because they're going to be put in the crossroads right now between what they should do. They, they obviously can't keep using their pesos because it's worthless. So they're looking to potentially dollarize, which is cool, but now you don't have control over your national currency and decide when you want to inflate the monetary supply for whatever you need and when you want to um, decrease the demand, you know, um, through increasing the interest rates. And so it's one of those things where Bukele, I think he made a good decision where he's like, look, we're not going to make another national currency. The other one that we had failed. 
and we've, we're still going to dollarize, but we're going to do a hybrid, you know, where we're going to give people the optionality as well to use this as a potential uh, inflationary hedge, which it's proven to be over the long period of time. And um, so, no, I don't I don't think it's a bubble. I think it just goes through cycles like every market, real estate, too, as well. Um, stocks, you know, they all go through these cycles. So if you buy I had a buddy, I have a buddy that's also really big into real estate in England. Um, I did a podcast actually with him, too, as well. And um, yeah, he he bought the top of you know real estate. He had to wait ten years to to see the value that he bought um, accrue in terms of asset appreciation. It took a long time. So I think that did he did, was it a bubble? No, he just he just bought at the wrong time, you know. But he held and um, he stayed patient. And over the course of time, now his his uh, property value eventually you know seventy five percent from what he originally bought in terms of asset appreciation. So, yeah, that's, that, I hope that answers your question, Dan. More to come. Check out part three.